0: You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Mastering Retention podcast. I'm super excited to have with me Isaac Phoenix. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about narrative and games today. Um, Isaac, Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Narrative has been something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Um, So I'm I'm really excited for today's podcast. Um, Well, Would you like to just let everyone know, like, what got you into gaming in the first place? What's your journey?
1: Um, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I've been gaming for longer than I can remember. (laughs) Um, You know, back before, it is what it is now. Um, Not quite as early as the arcades, but, you know, as someone who helps develop this stuff, I definitely have gone back and academically tried to play through a lot more of the uh, the classic titles. But I've been playing for as long as I can remember. And I enjoy all types of games. You know, I enjoy getting into a multiplayer title, dying 50 times in five minutes. And, you know, hey, (laughs) I've got my fix for the month. But, um, you know, when it comes to the narrative side, I've always enjoyed the single player game stories much more partially because again, it's something that I'm actually able to accomplish something in, but also because I really do enjoy the stories. Yeah. I love that. What's your all time favorite game? Okay. So uh, I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, I would say that persona five Royal is my favorite game however i think that while persona 5 royal does beat out any of the mass effect titles on their own i think the collective nature of mass effect will put the trilogy as as my favorite so i think technically though that doesn't count until february or march whenever it does come out as one disc title but um otherwise yeah (laughs) i love it that's a great answer yeah (laughs)
0: I'm glad I'm not asking myself that question because I don't know that I would have a great answer, (laughs) but I I always default back to some of the games that were really like defining to me. Like when I was in my teenage years, like I played a lot of Diablo two or something like that, which, um, you know, going back and playing it sometimes, I don't know why I still love
1: that game so much, but I still do. Well, you know, there's, since we're talking about narrative design, there are several different aspects to narrative you can really dive into. Um, You know, multiplayer doesn't really have a ton of narrative going in, but it kind of allows you to create your own narrative in that, Mm. you know, type of area. And nostalgia in and of itself is a very powerful thing. You know, we've got a lot of the indie games that kind of pop up that, that try and tap into that nostalgia Um, you know the nostalgic feeling because and you know those memories that you have are stories in and of themselves so even if the game is not quite up to snuff you know those memories will bring those stories to the forefront for you Um, you know it's why a lot of those older titles will still stand up today and why you know our children roll their eyes when you're trying to reintroduce them (laughs) without the remastered versions
0: Oh, that's that's something I never thought about before. Yeah, I I was recently uh, just game testing uh, an indie game. I don't know if it's actually out yet, but it was very reminiscent stylistically and art wise and stuff of like the original Pokemon Blue, Pokemon Red. And it, it brought me back to, you know, when I was like 10 years old playing my like original, you know, Game Boy on the bus going to school and stuff. So yeah, I, I love that. That's, well, that's I think it was
1: Shovel Knight and Mighty Number no. 9 came out around the same time, and they were both reminiscent of Mega Man, and one of them was incredibly successful and the other one wasn't. And it really is because, you know, when you dive into narrative, you have a very external part, but you have a very inter- internal part as well. Um, that you know kind of allows you to access different parts of story and mechanics. Game mechanics work in a very similar fashion, and Shovel Knight was really able to tap into the meaning behind the mechanics and how everything mm. clicked together. Whereas you know, and these were the people who created Mega Man, the people on, at my you know who crafted Mighty Number no. Nine. They, they looked at just everything that was external, the art style, the the story. They kept all that stuff, but they really failed to capture. I guess the best way to phrase it is the essence of Mega Man. So, you know, you see that stuff, real life examples pop up like that from time to time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So why do you think a game should have a narrative? You know, what, what value does it actually add to a game? Because, you know, there are a lot of games out there that are fairly simple and don't, they don't really have a narrative. Um, so, so, you know, <sighs>
1: So I would say that there is no game out there that doesn't have a narrative. And let's go ahead and start off with the classic Mario. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, but narrative, um, there's a book called Story. It was written by an author named Robert McKee, and it, it dives into the details of story and the different aspects and different points of it. And one of the things he says is that story is metaphor for life. Um, and that's really a big thing that you get in narrative. You know, you you go through these experiences um, and you're able to recapture that in stories. And, you know, you, you go through an experience, you use psychology to kind of understand it, and then you use creativity to dress it up in a fantastical, you know, form. But games work on a very similar level. Mario does not have a deep interpersonal drama or a deep interpersonal relationship between all of their characters, but even on the simplest level, stories have a goal. They have conflict and they have growth and they have a goal. And that is stuff that, you know, that's stuff that games um, have as well. Even the earliest games, you know, you you try and get a higher score um, as you would grow with the skills in the game. You would level up in an RPG. You would try and get farther in a, you know, linear, you know, in a, I don't want to say story type game, but any game where, There's level-based games where you try and get farther. So so there is that growth. You still have the goal. You still have the goal of Mario saving Peach and defeating Browser. And and Mm -hmm. those things, they're just there to say, here's the beginning and here's the end. But if you were to take that game and just turn it into black and white, you know, pixelated dots, it wouldn't sell as well just because – the goal is not as clear and that's not, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a narrative thing and a mechanical thing. There's a lot of crossing between them. In fact, a game that does have pixelated blocks like Thomas was alone has ironically enough, a deep interpersonal narrative, (laughs) but there's, there's a lot of ways to show narrative. In fact, there's um, missile command, just to, to bring up a classic title is a very heavy narrative title but it's all done through the mechanics the game screen is the end it doesn't matter how far you get it's not like um any you know it's not like pac-man to where there's a glitch in the numbers you cannot beat missile command at the at the end you will it will just show the end there is no victory scheme there's nothing there and it's it's about nuclear war but it's about defending against nuclear war the year there is um, and defending the cities and ma- resource management and defending your missiles and just trying to survive. And that in and of itself, it was very personal to the creator. Like he had nightmares about nuclear apocalypse for like a month, um, or I think it was like for a year, once a month for a year after the game was out. And so there are, you know, it's the mechanics, the th- the actions that we take inside of a game and the narratives of the game themselves are not disconnected by any means.
0: makes makes a lot of sense so you know you mentioned that book story when you think about adding you know a narrative to the game or kind of defining that storyline um do you see that process kind of emulating what it might be like to say like read a fantasy book where you know there are highs and lows in the book that kind of you know, draw you in and make you want to keep reading, you know, chapter by chapter, page by page?
1: Yeah. Um, and, in fact, you can see that in every aspect um, uh, of that. So you get games. Take Naughty Dog, for an example. Um, Naughty Dog has game and they have story and their games are very linear and and they're very story driven. But a lot of that stuff plays through the cutscenes, Um And that's that's often people refer to that as. Ludo narrative dissonance, and it's essentially when the gameplay and the story don't exactly merge together. um It's usually used in a much more negative light, and Naughty Dog still does a good job with keeping them together. But they they play a lot out in their cutscene, so you'll play through a game, but the drama, the the conflict, a lot of that stuff plays out in the cutscene. So they still have full control over that narrative. But then you can you can go to a game like Overwatch, where Overwatch has no control and a very limited narrative, and yet they created the play of the game. They were able to find a moment of high tension within the mechanics, no narrative at all, but within the mechanics, and really able to bring that tension to the surface to where an AI is able to find it. And it's not always perfect, but, you know, down to the point where that stuff exists on both sides. Um, As a narrative designer, it's really my job, not just to find it, but to find it in both the story and the mechanics and kind of bring it together. A lot of things that you do in real life will, um, you know, they're, they're stories in and of themselves. And when you take those actions into a game, again, they kind of create stories in and of themselves. So it's less about applying it. It is still there. You do, you still do apply a lot of storytelling aspects to every part of a game, but it's also about drawing it out from the source as well.
0: Mm. You, you also mentioned, you know, cut. Cutscenes. Do you have any recommendations on, you know, how and when you should use cutscenes
1: versus dialogues, or you know, what the right balance is? It's all about control, is really what it is. Um, you know, how much control do you want to maintain over a story? Personally, I'm not a huge fan of cutscenes. When um, in the stuff that you know, I make for myself but that's just because I like to see that level of choice in a game. So for me, I believe the games have the highest potential um, of storytelling than any other medium, but it also has the hardest, you know, it's also very challenging to get to that point. And you take a game like God of War and God of War is able to, uh, to use what uh, use was available in a game, but also, sidestep some of the traps. So for example, God of War uses mechanics to grow the relationship between Kratos and his son. And they do that by making his son more powerful through the game to give the player a connection with the son as well. So you're really able to feel that attraction. (laughs) However, that being said, it is still a linear game. It is still, it it still has a narrative that the writer said, this is the story we're going to tell. And there's, you know, there's no other options for that. And I think, you know, in no way am I bashing any game like that. I think it's very important that we have games with choice, but that we also have games that are linear. And then we also have games, you know, I think it's very important to have that variety, but they were, they, they were able to use the mechanics to strengthen the relationship while they were also able to, you know, sidestep some of the issues with, um, you know, with cutscenes. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's really good. Yeah. You know, in terms of you know, one of those games that has player choices, you know, one that always kind of comes to my mind is, well, really anything by Larian like divinity Two original sin um, where, you know, what do you think of a storyline that's actually impacted by player choices? Like I choose to do this and it has dramatic impacts on, you know, the rest of the gameplay.
1: So uh, it, that question is, is, I'd say it's not simple. I just complicate everything that I touch, I guess. Um, There are multiple different ways that you can formulate a story inside of a game. Bethesda gives a high level of control to the story there. Um, Whereas you take a game from BioWare and BioWare gives a high level of control, but not quite to the extent that Bethesda does. Now, Mm -hmm. Bethesda... um, they, their games could be considered sandboxes, right? They still give you this area to play in. It's not like Minecraft per se, but it's still an area where you can play and do whatever you want. And there are impacts of the stories for sure. But at the same time, you could pull someone aside who has played, um, you know, a Bethesda game, like, you know, let's just pull up the biggest one, Skyrim, and you can pull someone who's played a Bioware game, the Mass Effect trilogy, and you could ask them to list off the, the stories. You could ask them to list off the characters. You could ask them to, to bring over the world. And, It really does depend on how much time each person has invested in it. So I I promise you that someone could go over the Citadel. Someone could completely tell you about the Citadel. I don't necessarily know how much someone could tell you about many of the other planets, though, in Mass Effect. Whereas in Skyrim, someone could completely tell you a lot of stuff about the world. Um, They could completely tell you about Skyrim and and the history of Skyrim and, you know, maybe not every location, but, you know, how the Dwemer were there before and, and everything like that. But then you dive into it a little deeper. You talk about the story. No one really cares about the story of Skyrim. In fact, most of the people are doing all these other little mini quests, um, but everyone can tell you about the Reapers and Mass Effect. And then if you dive another level deeper, you know, again, you talk about the characters. Not a single person is going to be able to tell you the the name of a character in Skyrim, um, unless they bothered them to death. I mean, the names that pop up in the forums of Skyrim are the people who, or even Fallout Four, Press and Garvey is just. He He's a meme because of how often he wants you to check on these settlements that don't mean anything to you. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are characters that people will remember Bethesda games, but most people are going to be able to completely name every single character in a Mass Effect game. So it really does depend when you split mm. up your story, the different aspects that you really are able to focus on and the things you're able to make more memorable but whereas, you know, we, we gave Bethesda a point for the world just because of the way that Mass Effect organized things, we gave two points to Mass Effect because while there wasn't as much control over the story in a Mass Effect game, there it was a lot more memorable. And I think that that's very much a balance that everyone has to argue with of what they're doing. And again, like I said, I, I would not put a Bethesda game as my top game, but I it, the Industry would be significantly lesser for it if there wasn't a company working on a game that was more sandbox and less narrative, whereas, Mm. you know, Mass Effect really is known for having one greater narratives and one of the most memorable ones. So it really does depend on what you put your focus into.
0: Mm. That makes a lot of sense. So thinking about Skyrim a little bit um, and comparing it maybe a little bit more uh, to, you know, Genshin Impact recently came out and it has kind of been making waves. So, you know, in Genshin, you pick one of the, the two characters and you don't really change them at all. Uh, but like, you know, in Skyrim, when you start playing, you pick your race and you change your face and do all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you see the story connecting with like the character design and giving you know players the freedom to you know express exactly what their character looks like?
1: So I'm gonna sit back and say on one hand, it does not matter, and on the other hand, it completely matters. <laughs> um it really does depend. So on on one hand, I don't there's a there's a concept in narrative called relatability, and it is very important. Um, How you relate to the character, how you relate to their struggles, how you relate to their victories, um there's there's we talked before about an internal and an external aspect of story and that really is what it comes down to so if you're reading lord of the rings you know you've got this external battle against orcs and the forces of mordor and against great evil that's not really something most people can relate to but you do have the internal struggle you know you have the internal battles of frodo against the ring against the pull of evil against temptation Mm -hmm. um you know of, of his friends being there to help him and him losing friends because the actions that he taking so those things are very relatable so you want to bring in the most relatability possible and that's great um but there are limits to what anyone in the games industry can do so when you are developing an indie game i would very much encourage you to find that relatability somewhere to where it's going to cost the least. Now, if it's easy for you to just put up, hey, I've got, you know, this pixelated avatar and I can change these details about them, great. That, you know, if that doesn't cost too much, that's absolutely great. You're obviously not going to be able to have a, you know, a a face sculpting tool <laughs> like you will in, in the follow-up titles. Um, and you know, to a certain extent, there's also another aspect called analysis paralysis where if you have too many choices, then, you know, you just completely freeze up. And I suffer bad from that in character design. I personally am like, I'm going to give like, I'm going to check the presets and then that's it. Um, and then I'm just going to go and, and play the game. Whereas you get other people who are like, no, I crafted Conan O'Brien in this game. And that's how they invested <laughs> the first 3000 hours of their experience. Um <laughs> And so, you know, there, I think that, again, having different games that do different things is very important for the medium to have, regardless of what your favorite title is. It's, it's very important to have those different experiences. But the other thing that you have to consider is there are games like, again, going back to God of War. We are not Kratos. Kratos is his own character. However, we are still able to step into his shoes. We're able to relate to him through the mechanics and through his efforts to connect with a son who he doesn't have a lot in common with while he's trying to hide a huge part of himself from everything around him. So while Kratos himself is his own character, there's a certain level of relatability in that. Whereas when it comes to um, you know a character in, Beth- you know in Bethesda title, you're able to make them look everything like you, mm-hmm. but there's not really a lot of personality there, and you're able to role play that in, but again, there's there's not really a ton of relatability there. Now there is still the text messages that you're able to chat with people about. Um, you get that in the Bethesda games, you get that in Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. I find it very interesting actually, Persona has that where you will, they'll give you three different dialogue options. Two of those dialogue options end up with the same, you know, whoever you're chatting with, they'll say the same thing to your dialogue options. For the third thing, they'll say something different, but it doesn't make any difference to the story, but they still Mm -hmm. felt the need to put that in there. And the reason why they felt that need, even though it has zero impact on anything else, it still allows the player to feel like they are putting themselves into that character's shoes. So that, you know, even without any other options being added in, that little touch allows you to feel more in tune with the character.
0: Super interesting. Do
1: you think, like, are there certain
0: kind of players that don't like a narrative in their gameplay or just, like, completely skip it over or don't use it at all?
1: So, it's it's not that simple. Technically speaking, no. There's, I, well... I hate to use huge sweeping, you know, words to describe this, but to a certain extent, I want to, I would sit back and say, there is not a single person who does not like narratives in their. And again, it goes back to the beginning of talking about Mario, you know, these the, Mario has this narrative and it's not much, it's not a huge drama, but it has conflict, it has growth, and it has a goal. Things very important into a story. You can get people who are like, oh, I hate the single player games and I just want to go through and I just want to play multiplayer games. But then, you know, they're playing Overwatch and they get their play of the game or they have something that they get super excited about that they want to tell their friends. I would say that there's no one on earth who doesn't in some way or, you know, some shape or form enjoy a good story, whether that's through a book, a game, an experience. Um, you know something that someone told them one time but if you if you dive into yeah the narrative titles yeah there's tons of people who are just like they just like oh i'm tired of the story i just am here for the mechanics um and, and you know i i personally am mostly there for the story uh final fantasy 7 was a recent arrival and uh, persona 5 royal came out a little while beforehand persona 5 is a turn-based rpg it's entertaining um they they do a good job mixing up the mechanics to where it's very tactical, but it's still you push the X button, he'll hit him with the sword, you'll win the battle, and there's nothing entertaining about that. Final Fantasy Seven had a robust combat system that was you know real time, the magic looked cool, everything was fun. I struggle to get through that game again because to me, the story is so important that in final fantasy seven, the story was so badly messed up that I struggle to go back through it again. And I'm probably in the minority when it comes to that, but yeah, different people definitely put a higher priority in their games for different aspects of them. Yeah.
0: So I guess maybe to rephrase the question a little bit. Like, Are there certain aspects of the narrative that players like or certain aspects that they don't like? And I realize that's probably a very broad question, but like generally speaking, are there certain things that like these types of players aren't going to like in narrative and these other types are going to like in it?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Um, So you can divide narrative into three parts, the world, the character and the story. Um, And these these parts, they play different aspects So the world is the setting, but it's also the reason why characters are who they are, you know, uh, a fantasy setting versus a sci fi setting. These different settings are going to affect the the particular issues of different characters. Um, I would say that there's a lot of people who dived into Skyrim and they were super excited because it was at the time to this day even still well designed but graphically for its time was very beautiful they were there for the world um you know you get into a game like mass effect and it's got a interesting story for sure it's it's um it's a relatively personal dramatic tale but most of those people are there for the friends they make along the way. They can tell you about the Reapers, but they're not going to tell you about the individual stories. They're mostly going to tell you about their friendships with the characters there. Persona 5 is, is very similar. Um, I'm trying to think of a game, and I can't think of one specifically right now, that that there is just a story that's so impressive that, you know, that's what they're there for. They can't tell you who the characters' names are, they can't tell you anything about the world, but the events of the story were so impressive. And that's really the job of a narrative designer. I mean, Final Fantasy is a huge franchise, but let's face it, their stories are always, hey, you're the chosen hero, chosen by the crystal, go get this crystal, and then you can destroy this big bad who's got three forms for some reason, probably has (laughs) we is there to kill you, but is not going to win. But... They've, they've done as well as they have because of the character. So, yeah, there are different aspects of narrative that people are going to gravitate towards. Personally, for me, I choose character. Um, I I prefer the characters to be as fleshed out as possible. In fact, in my research, what I have seen, and again, it's it's relatively newer research, so I can't claim anything with this, but in general, people go to a game for its world or its mechanics they will stay in a game for its story or mechanic. And that's a big aspect of multiplayer titles is, you know, even though each person is different in a random game and yeah, they're there for the mechanics, they enjoy that that social aspect with other people.
0: So would you say that a good story can captivate a player's attention and drive engagement?
1: Easily, yes. Um, I believe that a good story can really pull people in. Um, I'm trying to think through cause obviously mobile games get away with a lot of stuff that's really based off of Skinner box techniques. You know, how can I pull someone in and get them connected? Um, and in a way that still applies to a narrative In a way you're, you're saying, Hey, I've got this job for you to do, can you do the job to the best of your ability? And that means, you know, going in every day to get the rewards. That means maxing out your hours. That means, you know, getting on a weird sleep schedule that's controlled by your phone for some weird reason. You know, <laughs> every game in, in one way or another uses some form of narrative to suck you in. And the psychology of that narrative, I think does change. But yeah, I would easily say that a story is really one of the things that that pulls people in the most. Call of Duty is a very popular game, but the big thing that got Overwatch into the playing field was the play of the game. It was the fact that they could, that an AI could find the story within a multiplayer title that really drew people in.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think, I guess, what do you think should come first? So uh, let's say I want to start creating a game. Do you think that the story should come first or do you think I should, you know, come up with the the core loop or the mechanic or the world you know what what is the right way to approach developing a game if I want to make sure that it has a quality story within it as well
1: so there is no right way to do it um (laughs) and, and and it physically pains me to say that because, you know, in the artist field, you expect these people like, oh, there's no right way to do it. You just do whatever you want. That's not me. I am very mechanically driven. Um, there are multiple story structures that are put forward. Uh, two of the biggest ones are the three act and the five act. I didn't tolerate that very well because I didn't want to get into a story and then be like, oh, no, this should be using the five act. So what I did is I did a ton of research to figure out the differences between three and five act. And I developed my own story structure for it because of how agitated I was that there were different options that I could take. So no, even on a creative field, I am very mechanically driven. So it physically pains me to say this, but there is no great place to start. Legend of Zelda was inspired by walking in the backyard, walking and exploring Japan. And that's kind of where it came in. The exploration was the biggest part of the game, not the mechanics or the the story but the the world was kind of a big aspect um so it really just yeah and and when these things pop up when you have an idea you kind of just have to go with it um and find the things that fit in and why they fit in because there there is once you get an idea you just kind of have to go with it as much as I love the story in a game if you start with the story, then you have a whole nother mess in front of you, because then you have to say, OK, I want to make a game, but I want to be story driven. And that that in of itself is a great first place to start with. But then you have to say, OK, well, shoot, where do I start with the story? Do I start with the world? Do I start with the you know the, the story or do I start with the characters? So hopefully not with the story, because then you have a whole nother mess to, to clean up. <laughs> um, but really, there is no part that you have to be concerned about. There are many games out there that are clearly, the person who made this game, their first thought was, this is a really, I really wanna make this song and I'm gonna make, I don't remember the name of the game, but there's this very psychedelic game um, with a lot of visuals. And it's mostly just like a rhythm tapping game with these weird visuals and this interesting music. And that's clearly where they started was, I made this song. It's really cool. It would go really well in a game. So yeah, you can start anywhere.
0: Cool. Well, maybe to thinking about it a slightly different way, I guess let's say I I brought you on to help me create a story for my game. Um, how would you approach creating a vibrant storyline? Are there certain elements or like pillars of having a story that you would try to incorporate you know into every story that you design?
1: So different people have different priorities um, and it really does depend on the scenario. So the first thing that I would do is if if you had, if you're just like some business guy who's like, I want to get into the games industry, I'm going to get someone who knows the game industry really well, and I'm going to hire them to make me a game. So then my idea is the first idea. The first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to create characters because to me, I think in a general sense, characters are one of the most powerful aspects of narrative, because of, again, people want to relate to certain things. Um people want to know that there is something of themselves inside of a character. So I, I consider characters to be the most important, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the most important to everyone. I mean, the Transformers movies are not great, but they keep making more of them. They're still making money off the Transformers movies. So, Character, while I do consider it overall to be the most important thing, and while I know it's the most important thing to me, there are people out there who enjoy the other aspects of narrative. So, if you were to come to me and say, "I want this," the first thing that I'm going to do is develop characters and develop their 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 backstories and develop their relationships. That's the first thing that I'm going to do. However, again, all this stuff is connected. So, if you're a game designer, and you're like, "I've got this mechanic." Well, then, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to look at your mechanic and. Pick a story that best aligns with that mechanic. You know, that's a big reason why the Final Fantasy titles took off when they did. You know, you weren't going to get a deep interpersonal narrative through playing pit. You weren't, you know, you weren't going to be able to jump across this pit and and use those same mechanics to get a deep personal narrative. Now, so still there, Castlevania and Mario had these goals and stuff, but when Square wanted to do something more, they said, we don't want the mechanics to get in the way of the story. They set it aside. And that's part of the reason why they've had as hard of a time recently as they have, is because up until Final Fantasy VII, they didn't have that ludonarrativity. They didn't combine the game and the mechanics. They, they said, these mechanics will work with any story. We want to focus on the story. So it really depends. If you have mechanics, then I would come in and say, how can we increase the ludonarrativity here? How can we make the story and the mechanics attuned to each other to where they play off of each other otherwise i personally and i think that if you have no idea where to start characters are the best place to start this
0: do you ever take a how to phrase it maybe like a audience first approach so uh let's say i i want to take like a make a casual puzzle game or something like that so i think it's going to be you know a uh, middle-aged female type audience, do I do you ever think about what kind of story is gonna reside really well with them and try to create something like that? Or is that not the approach that you'd recommend?
1: So I guess there's several ways to look at that. Looking at that is from a very business perspective, you know, if you were to come in and, you know, I'm not unfamiliar with the business side, I know enough to like communicate with them and say, hey, this is this is the way you're going to go. In fact, one of my last gigs, I was kind of the um, I was the lead narrative designer, I, I was in charge of editing and checking the stories and chatting with everybody and training them up but what would happen is we would take go from the creative side to to the owner uh so we would go to the owner and he would be like oh well this is this is this is this and then i would step up and be like no you have to keep these in here like you can get rid of if you don't like these, these, these these we can do that but you have to keep this in here because of this request here um yeah so um there There are certain things that you you that I would be able to intermediate between. So again, I don't come from the business side. I come from the creative side. Theoretically speaking, though, I can do something like that, but I personally don't. In fact, I have a very much I, I have the opinion. Some people agree with this, some people don't, but a game designer's job is to protect the player from themselves. Um, I recently had a debate with someone about a sandbox game, um, specifically about, you know, aspects of a game that would give a player a certain amount of freedom. And I said that that to me that that is not the most important way to go because even if you're giving the player the most freedom, how much of this are they going to remember? But if you make something, you know, that is more controlled you are going to have somebody who remembers that it's very much the debate between a Bethesda game and a Bioware game. And again, I'm not bashing Bethesda. I love their games. It would be a huge hole to have that. But personally, that is not the approach that I tend to take. Yeah. So you would never look at something like, say I want to
0: extend the story in a game that I have, you know, soft launched or, you know, to a small group of players. And I find, Hey, they they typically like to play this game after 9 p.m. Should the the story kind of be catered a little bit more towards that like nighttime style playing? Like maybe it's a, a little bit of a horror game or something like that. Do I you know lean into that type of a story there because it is late at night?
1: Again, personally, no. I that's and and not you know that that that's just not where my skill set lies. Um, you know, it, if, you know, for me, setting up my own company and saying, this is the game I want to make, I'm going to sit here and say, I'm going to make a game that is putting the story first and foremost. And that, yeah. you are putting the narrative first and foremost, I'm putting the characters first and foremost. That being said, if I was working for you and you said that you wanted to bring in these types of and very capable of doing. Um, And it really does come down to, you know, sitting back and saying, okay, if this is the type of demographic that you want, then I have to find the psychology of those players. I have to go in and say, what will these players relate to the most? So if you're looking at a female demographic, you're right. A first person shooter is not 10, you know, does not tend to be what attracts them. Um, that's the entire reason Pac-Man was developed. You know, they retired the space invaders and an entirely male demographic in the arcades. Pac-Man was developed, designed from the ground up to bring in the female demographic. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I do still think about that in the stories um, side of things. I do still try and make something that is relatable to a variety of people. Mostly because I I do want to have as many people experience, you know, my story as possible. Um, One of the titles that I'm actually working on now, I have, you know, we've got the gameplay and we have the gameplay designed to maximize tension through the combat. Um, But there are people who just don't like to play games. Um, And so one of the things that I said is I said, okay, let's take the AI and let's put it, attach it. To the player character so that way they can play the game that way they can have the ai play the game and all they have to do is make telltale like decisions throughout the game and that's it so there are definitely demographics that i think of um, going into a title there's i am very capable of doing that for somebody else but do i personally do that for myself when starting out no absolutely not um And, um, you know, but I I don't think that that's there's anything wrong with that. I'm not a huge fan of the mobile market, but some of the titles that are developed are based off of that. And some of those titles are fun. So, yeah, there's there's no reason why you can't approach, um, you know, approach a creative industry from the business side. There's no reason why, because the same type of system, the same psychology, the same relatability, that's going to drive the demographics that's going to drive your numbers. And all of that is the same type of stuff that I use to pull people into my story from, from the story side. So, you know, those things still relate, they're all still connected, but no, that's not where I start. That's I'm not smart enough for that.
0: Love it. So
1: thinking about
0: mobile or just free to play in general, a little bit, um, How would you or how do you typically incorporate the story into that first time user experience? You know, are there any tips or tricks on how to optimize the process to, you know, really get that person connected with the character that you've designed so that they are likely to stick around?
1: You know, it really depends on what you're going for. Um, I'm currently working on a mobile title that is narratively enhanced, but the, me- the, the the mechanics are designed for it to be narratively enhanced. There is a lot of dialogue in the game, but if you're talking about a more traditional mobile title, something like Clash of Clans or something like that, you know, the, the question is no longer how do you make the narrative, um, you know, come through it's more of you know how do you let the player create their own narrative and and that's done still through the basics of narrative design especially you know relatability but instead of doing that through dialogue and stuff like that you do that through the mechanics so you know a lot of games will sit back and you know some of them use a multiplayer component to create um you know a killer ask for for you know for those of you guys familiar with the uh, Bartle taxonomy some of the some of them will use a killers ask aspect to the multiplayer to try and say hey are you the best in your area or or this and they'll use that to drive people up um, you know sometimes certain games will be um, i think that they were traditionally called unfolding games you know there's a little something that is you have to be able to find or you have to wait for and that comes from the mystery aesthetic and that that brings in the explorers as a type of player so um, really what it comes down to on the narrative side though is being able to make sure that the players can create their own stories.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so you, you kind of answered this a little bit, but um, let's say I came up to you in 2012 and I'm King and I've got this new game Candy Crush Saga. How do you plan out or plot a storyline for a free-to-play game that essentially has an infinite or you know at least a lifetime that is, you know, in years? Like I know how you could do a story for like a Final Fantasy game or something like that, but that kind of has a, a set-defined ending and stuff. So how do you plan for this idea of kind of infinite play?
1: So if you were to, you know, bring me a copy of Bejeweled. And you were to sit back and say, "How do I dress this up?" The answer is Candy Crush Saga. It's hey, we're going to apply a different theme. But if you look at Candy Crush Saga versus Bejeweled, it's it's different. Um, Bejeweled has this box, and the goal is to get that infinite. You know, the goal is to get the high score, um, and in a way, that creates a certain level of replayability. But Candy Crush decided to take that a different route. They they have the aspects of getting the highest score, but they tie that to different shapes and different levels and different things like that. I would not sit back and say that, you know, Candyland is the reason why can people continually to play Jewel. I would say that that really does come back to more puzzles. Um, you know, I would also, and again, I don't really want to bash on any games, but part of that comes from them using the Skinner box technology to condition an action. You know, they had conditioned responses before Skinner came around, but Skinner was able to condition actions. And so I think the conditioning of those actions is a big aspect of what brings Candy Crush people back in. So that that brings in the psychology side a little bit more than the narrative side. But again, going back to what we're talking about with, with Mario, people play that game because of Mario, it's not a deep personal drama, but it is something that's, you know, that's, that's there. I would sit back and I would say that games can be divided up into four aspects, the sound, the art, the story, and the mechanics. So your story doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that keeps people going for a long time. I, for Candy Crush, it would be the mechanics. Ironically enough though, there is a lot of cross between the narrative and the mechanics. Cause again, they both, Are about player action. So, in a way, the psychology of Candy Crush Saga, which can be pulled from both the narrative and the um from both the narrative and the mechanics, is really what pushes it forward. However, talking about it from a broader sense, the reason why I play Persona 5 again and again and again and again but I struggle to play through Final Fantasy 7 again, despite the fact that Final Fantasy 7 clearly has better mechanics. It's because the people in Persona 5, the digital, AI-based, completely scripted, non-real people, are my friends. That is why I go back. The story is cool, especially in Royal. The ending bit is, is one of the best things in story that, ever, that I've ever seen. Um, the The... The mechanics are entertaining for a more boring version of, you know, how to embrace RPG mechanics. But if you were to come to me and say, I want a strictly narrative reason for why a game should stick around, characters are the best way to go. Because how do I make these characters friends? How do I make it to where this person wants to continually come back and hang out with these, again, digital, completely scripted, non-real people? as their best friends. That's the goal is how do you bridge that gap? Yeah.
0: So one thing that you mentioned a little bit ago was kind of this idea of mystery. Um, So maybe to frame my question a little bit, you know, do you ever lead with certain elements like breadcrumbs of the story where players have to infer or guess, or, you know, figure out what's going on ultimately to uncover the mystery, you know, kind of like what you see in certain books or TV shows or movies, you know, can that be replicated in games? And if so, like what's the right kind of cadence to give breadcrumbs and to, to help players along with that?
1: Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. In fact, I would say that mystery really is something that you have to have. I think that there's a lot of spots that you can put mystery in. You can put mystery in the mechanics. Okay. You know, this is something that, um, the people who created Bayonetta that, you know, there's a big mystery of their mechanics. Okay. I know what the A button does. I know what the B button does. Now, how many ridiculously looking combos can I perform in this short span of time? You know, there, there's a mystery in the mechanics um, that leads to a certain level of mastery. Um, then you can deal with the world. You know, you can put that mystery in the world of, okay, where am I? How is this similar to, to real life? How do I, what can I recognize? but then what's different i think that there's a certain point where that's the biggest aspect of horror right people are fear what they do not understand so when you put something there that you know is aggressive and that you don't know anything about that's horrifying and that can bring somebody that brings a lot of people into the theaters into well you know whatever those are uh, brings people into a horror title but with the right amount of mystery something that is familiar but yet you know i I'm phrasing this incorrectly because we're also talking about the uncanny valley there. Um, (laughs) but you know, again, if you're able to bring in something that's familiar, but that has just a hint of unfamiliarity that pulls people in the right direction, you can get people going with the world. Characters are the same way people don't like two dimensional characters because they're boring. Um, but a three dimensional character, a character with depth is someone who is a particular way but there's something that's different, and that's something that you're you're going to want to explore. So you can put mystery into every aspect. It doesn't just have to be the story like, oh, you know, what's happening here? What's going on? That is a great aspect to put it in. Um, and in fact, it's it's actually quite important because it, if you don't in some way or another grab somebody's attention – with a little bit of mystery you can lose them before you're able to put them into some of the deeper parts it doesn't have to be mystery there's other aesthetics that you can use but mystery is one of the not easiest but one of the simpler ones that you can use it doesn't have to be the whole time but it has to be enough to keep them going to a to a point that something else in the story can can grab them yeah. That's great. Isaac, do you have any other tips or tricks, you
0: know, you've encountered when it comes to thinking about how to make a, a great story for a game?
1: Um, I, so it really depends. Um, I'm not sure if you have the ability in your podcast to have any links or anything. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll definitely link everything. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, I, it's still going through a little bit of an editing process, but it is technically done. There are certain people when they're writing who are, they're what's called um, pantsers. They're just, they just, they fly by the seat of their pants. They just go, 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 go. Um, and it's it's funny because these people have talent that I will never have just because they have the ability to create something just out of a whim. They, they intrinsically know how everything is supposed to be connected. But then there are people like me who just, I do not know how all this stuff is connected intrinsically. So what I did is I went through and, uh, and again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, the five X structure drove me off the wall. I was raised on the three X structure and then the five X structure was going in. It was threatening everything that I had ever known. Um, And, and so I went through and I created my own story structure called the three dimensions of story. It utilizes the um Dan Harmon Story Circle. it utilizes uh, the um Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. Um, I went back and I found the 5X structure with Shakespeare and Gustav Freytag. And then I went through a bunch of other aspects of story. Um, and I divide story up into three parts, the world, the character, and the story. And then I developed how you would kind of create those. Then I put the journey that you would use to, you know, that the character would go on to complete that story. And then I put in a pacing curve, which matches up with the 5X structure. We, we could sit here chatting for days about how it's all linked <laughs> together. But I have a document there that I am happy to send you that is completely free for anyone to use. Again, it's still going through an editing process. There's some rough patches there, um, but it is completely free for anyone to use. So anyone who's struggling with this is, is free to use it. It doesn't include game mechanics, but it really does help you. I say this because, again, I needed help. So I set this up for me and it's helped me. So to the point that it's legible and I pass out to other people and they've Promise me that it is legible to show how they all gather and and how you can use that to craft the story. Then it'll show you how to move the story forward. And then it'll show you how to make sure to keep the audiences' um, attention.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to link that and hopefully it's, it's super helpful. Um, well, and I know we're, we're just about out of time here, but I have one more question, the unofficial question that everyone loves because it is the mastering retention podcast. You know, what's one tip or trick you've found over the years to increase uh, retention in your games?
1: Um, Again, I, I really do. I, I, I don't. I am not smart enough to approach this from the business side. But again, in my studies, from a creative narrative perspective, um, I say that there's create, there's creativity in in both sides. It's it's not like there is not a mixture of both. But on a from a strictly narrative side. I feel like characters are the ones who should get the most attention into your stories. And again, when you craft them, they are the most relatable parts, which leads them to being the most memorable parts, which leads them to being the parts in terms of story that people are going to want to visit the most. So from a non-business side and from a story side in general, I would say that making sure that your characters are relatable and memorable is the most important aspect um, from that side. I love that.
0: That's fantastic.
1: It, Isaac. And I do say that just just as a rebuttal to that, I say that Skyrim has gotten fifty different releases down to you know. <laughs> Keys, uh, Keys connection with the uh, Amazon Alexa release of, of Skyrim um, and, and that I'm not going to say that the characters are all boring, but they're definitely not as in, you know intuitive as the characters of Persona and Mass Effect. So I'm not going to say that's the only way to do that. But from what I have found, it theoretically would be the most effective way. <laughs> Cool. I love that. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for being on the
0: podcast. This has been fantastic. Uh, if people have any questions, is there a good way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I've got an email, uh, it's work at pollen.games. I'm, I'm happy to accept emails from people who have more questions. Um, Past that, I don't really utilize social media. Um, I am developing them, uh, but that's still, I'm developing them for a company um, that I am running. But that's going to be still a little ways down the road. So at the moment, that email is, is the best way to get in touch with me. Awesome. Or, oh. or you know what? I apologize. LinkedIn, I think, is the best way to get in touch with me. So I can also send you that link as well. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure that
0: it's uh, LinkedIn there as well. So awesome. Isaac, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I feel like I've learned so much today. Uh, I hope we can maybe have you on sometime in the future again to continue talking about narrative and games.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Any anything to keep a little bit of distance with the children, please, please tell me that. (laughs) Love it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Awesome.
0: Bye.